This is The Mudroom, on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello, welcome to The Mudroom, our free and live Uncommon Sense Parenting class. How is everyone doing this evening? So, once again, I am getting a wee bit controversial tonight. So let's see how this goes. Tonight, I want to talk about why we need to be done with the whole zero tolerance thing, especially in light of the Me Too movement, which might surprise some of you. (laughs) Now, I know this is going to sound kind of backwards to many people because many of us have bought into the concept of zero tolerance. And let me define what I mean by zero tolerance. When I'm talking about zero tolerance tonight, I'm talking about zero tolerance in reference to play fighting, war, weapon, and superhero play, and everything related to that. You know, no fake weapons, no building fake weapons, no magic wands, no chase games, no pretend martial arts, no wrestling, etc. So... So many of us have bought into zero tolerance on a feminist moral imperative level where we've rationalized that male violence and aggression is a result of allowing aggressive themed play in early childhood. And the problem with that is that when we buy into something on a moral level, it becomes very easy to never look at it critically because to do that would be immoral, right? Shooting people is bad. I think we can all agree on that. (laughs) Therefore, pretending to shoot someone is bad. And to question why children across cultures, time, and space have a persistent interest in that kind of play would go against that moral imperative that shooting is bad. So we never question it. Here's the problem with that, though. Oh, oh, comments. (laughs) Hey, Kayla! Um, Kayla says currently her three and a half year old is running around with a plastic sword playing Power Rangers and a gun tucked into his pants. Yeah, that sounds like my house a lot of the time. <laughs> You're big Power Ranger fans. So here's the issue with that. No research shows that fantasy violence leads to real life violence. What it does show is that watching violent media increases fantasy violence. It does show that when children who live in real-life violent circumstances are exposed to violent media, the incidence of real-life violence increases. And it shows that children who are not living in real-life violent circumstances have an increase of real-life violence when fantasy violence is barred. So what that tells us is that we really need to separate real-life versus fantasy. So anyone who has a child who has a persistent interest in fantasy violence, who has stopped their child from engaging in that kind of play, has heard, but it's just pretend. If a four-year-old can differentiate between real life and pretend, why are we as adults conflating it? Like, what happens when we give fantasy weight in the real world is that we blur the lines for children. We communicate to them that their fantasies are dangerous in real life and that 
their fantasies can do real harm. And that that's scary for children, right? That gives them a level of power that, you know, their plastic sword or their Lego blaster is inherently dangerous. And that is alarming. They don't want to really hurt anyone, right? So, you know, they push those impulses down. They begin to repress them. But that doesn't stop the interest or the thoughts or the impulse. That doesn't end the fascination. So they kind of push it down harder. They don't process their anger, their frustration, and their powerless feelings in the safety of that fantasy world anymore because that could hurt someone in the real world. And a few studies have shown that an outcome of that for some children is that they're so successful at doing that that it becomes unbearable and by time they're teens or adults and can access real weapons and they they go and hurt themselves or others right they figure the only way to eliminate these thoughts and feelings is to act on them and that's the only way to feel powerful when they feel so powerless fantasy violence makes children feel powerful but in a manageable way <laughs> It gives them a safe domain to process their angst and their frustration and their anger, a pretend one. And when you look at the observational research that's been done, most children make up foes. They make up monsters and bad guys. And their guns or swords have the characteristics of magic wands, right? They blast monsters into alternate galaxies or they shrink them and or they, you know, freeze them. Very rarely do they kill them. And when they do kill them, there's usually revival sequences that take place that segue into caregiving. So they put down the guns and they take care of the pretend hurt person. And that often evolves into doctor and hospital play. In childcare centers where they've dropped the zero tolerance policy, they have seen an initial surge in violent play because Previously, it's been banned, so it's novel. But they've all reported a drop-off within a month or two, and they've seen an increase in boys playing dress-up, both in stereotypically male and female clothing. Now that they aren't being praised and encouraged for being quiet and calm and only doing things that the girls typically do, they're finding that they're a lot more comfortable crossing those gender lines and trying on more female personas willingly. They're seeing more active play from both boys and girls, and they're seeing them play together more rather than segregating off into their gender groups. Boys are showing less behavior issues in general, and they're engaging more in lessons. They're in the construction center elaborating on and improving upon their creations. Their relationships with the educators are improving more because they're not being constantly shut down and reprimanded for their interests. They're using more complex language to describe what they're doing and what others are doing. The girls were becoming more comfortable with being active and resistant because they weren't observing the boys getting punished for it all the time. So they started to push back. <laughs> they found their voices more. There was an observational study done in London, England, in the early 2000s, where 18 centers did a trial run of getting rid of zero tolerance. And of those 18, only one of them decided to reinstate it after the study. Those are pretty huge numbers. So all of this is to say that I know 
the world that we're living in is scary. Every generation's world has been. And it's natural to try and insulate ourselves against that and push back against it by rejecting any semblance of violence. But much like race, the more you try to deny its existence, the more you try and pretend it's not there, the more you ignore it and shut your eyes to the consequences and refuse to look at it critically, the bigger the issue it becomes. That doesn't mean, though, that we can't put limits around it or that you should just hand your kid a toy gun and tell them to go ham. Like, just like we talked about in the Mudroom episode on Rough and Tumble Play, we need to teach them about consent through this. If someone says stop, you need to stop. If someone says that they don't want to play, you need to find something else to do. People are the bosses of their bodies. You know, we lay out the rules before we start to play. Many daycare centers have rules that you can only shoot at objects and pretend monsters and not at other people. Personally, I think that's hamstringing their play a little bit, but it's better than nothing. And as the research showed, little boys in particular developed a lot of competencies outside of the fantasy. You know, they were building more complex structures and using more descriptive language. You can praise them for that. You don't have to be like, hey, good shot. If that makes you uncomfortable, you can say like, wow, you have a lot of features on that gun, right? And that's a very different line of praise. Um, Nick says it's the redirecting that can be the challenge during their play. Yeah, totally. And a lot of the studies that I read, the run up to them deciding to be part of this, this studies, the centers, and obviously all the research on this stuff is done in daycare centers because that's a controlled environment where you have a very concentrated number of children, right? So the run-up that a lot of these centers that ended up being in these studies had were that boys in particular were showing a huge lack of self-esteem. They were showing um, a lot of behaviors and listlessness because they their interaction, their, they had such a perseverative interest in war weapon and superhero play that all their interaction with the daycare providers was negative, right? They were constantly telling them to stop that, don't do that, be quiet, sit down, go do something else. Like, you can't do that here. And if that's all you hear all day long, that what you're interested in is bad and scary and dangerous, you start to shut down mentally. And so most of the centers were having a very hard time redirecting their kids away from that without having all these negative consequences attached to it. So they decided to try something else. They decided to kind of let those expectations go and just see where it went. So yeah, so they were having a really, really hard time with all these little boys who were really kind of withdrawing into themselves and having huge behavior issues because of it. So redirecting it doesn't really work out, they've found. And if you support the play, it tends to become less about the violence and it starts to really, as I said, move into caregiving, revival sequences, building, right? There's a lot of ways that it kind of seeps into other kinds of play and you start to feel, see a lot more um, variety for both boys and girls. Um, the other thing that was in a lot of the research that I read was that little boys and girls often would start from a place of media, right? Like they'd start by playing Power Rangers and playing that preset plot, right? Because when you have 
a group of kids. They need some kind of preset starting point to start from. And same with the little girls. They kind of needed a preset point to start from. But the more they supported the play, the more the plot lines started to get mixed until there was no set plot line at all. And they were completely making it up in their heads. And they were collaborating to do that. And I thought that was just amazing. Like, I know we're so down on screen time. We're so down on violent media. But used in the right way, supported and extended in the right way, it can have such amazing fallout. Um, Janelle says, my son has to wear a cape every time we leave to pick up his sister from school. That is awesome. And you know what? That cape probably makes him feel so powerful and gives him courage to, you know, walk into that big school or do whatever it is that is scary to him and not be scared of it, right? Like you've got a cape on, you can do anything. There's actually, um, there's a charity that's semi-local to me. It's in about a, a city that's about two hours away. And what they do is make capes for kids who have cancer. They find out that like, you can nominate a child who has cancer to this charity. And it's a bunch of women who they fundraise to get the supplies and then they donate their time to make these capes. And each one is handmade and personalized to the child that's been nominated. And then they send the cape to the child to make them feel powerful while they go through this life altering, horrible situation that no child should have to go through. Like that is the power of a cape. That is the power of fantasy. And that is the power of power, right? Little kids are so powerless against so much. It's okay to give them a veneer of power and to just kind of hand it to them and let them use it. Okay. That was, I got a little ranty there at the end, a little rambly, but what do you guys think? Lay it on me. Do you feel better about this? Does the concept still make you really uncomfortable? Can you see where banning it might be working against you? And can you see the impact that it has on both, on both? <laughs> boys and girls like we tend to think of this as a boy only issue but it's not like obviously it's having a huge impact on girls too and having two little boys myself you know I obviously know the research because I'm talking about with you guys but even then I was still a little leery of sending my four-year-old into school in September because I don't limit their fantasy play. You know, they have all the superhero costumes. They wrestle. They have weapons. They do all the, you know, fake martial arts moves. And I've taught them consent. I've taught them to stop and make the rules first. But how is that going to translate into a school setting where the other kids haven't necessarily been taught those things? So, like, when it was Meet the Teacher Night, I was kind of, like, very low-key, hesitantly asking the teacher, you know, is he being violent or aggressive at school? And she was like, no, I told him that we don't fight at school and he just totally accepted it. And I was like, okay, that's great. And she was like, actually, he said, okay, then I'll fight at home. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, does he? But that really reaffirmed for me that it's a lot easier to follow rules like that when you know that you have an outlet elsewhere. Like, just like when people ask me how I stay calm when my kids are pushing my buttons, 
Well, it's a lot easier to stay calm in the moment when I know that I have a punching bang downstairs to, you know, kick the shit out of later. So same kind of concept. He knows that he has to restrain himself at school, but that doesn't mean he's never going to get to do it. Okay. I'm going to be quiet now. That's it for me. (laughs) As always, if you enjoyed the class, make sure you download my scripts for managing crazy making behavior. They're free and the link for them is in the description. Thank you everyone for joining me and I will see you next week for another Uncommon Sense Parenting class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.